right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Higher Caliber Podcast. This is episode 25. So today we have Chris Nicewonder, John Rep, of course, Tim, Hello. and myself. So welcome, guys. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is John's. Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, this is John's third appearance. But if you wouldn't mind uh, giving yourself a brief uh, introduction history that would be fantastic sure well, what do you want to know you want me to start in childhood or yeah start there <laughs> one uh, day i was born <laughs> so i'm a full-time firefighter paramedic i operate a exterior cleaning service in my spare time um veteran of the united states army and yeah. the operation enduring freedom and I like to party. <laughs> <laughs> I think that pretty pretty well sums them up. Yep. <laughs> Chris? Uh, let's see. Um, I was uh, born and grew up in Lucas. Um, Air Force veteran. Sorry, high ass web score. Um, <laughs> I, I did. Uh, I started out uh, once I got out of the Air Force uh, in law enforcement and did uh, 13 years at the sheriff's office. Um, did quite a few things while I was there. Um, during that period of time, uh, I got talked into volunteering in the fire service and uh, cumulative total between volunteer and career was about uh, 32 years. Um, ended up having two chiefdoms, I guess you would call them. Uh, first one at Madison um, for about s- almost seven years. And then uh, left there and went to my hometown in Lucas and decided I was going to do that for fun and be a grunt and ended up being chief there for six years. So uh, <laughs> can't escape it. Yeah. So much uh, for that idea. <laughs> I've, been, I've been working for a uh, company selling uh, fire equipment, lease equipment. Um, and then uh, about uh, almost five years ago, transferred into apparatus sales. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, lived in uh, lived here all my life. Uh, my now wife, uh, we lived in uh, Middleburg Heights for about three years and uh, until she determined I was going to be on Snapped if I lived up there with all those people in cars. <laughs> so <laughs> we found a nice quiet place in Weller Township uh, by Olivesburg and uh, that's home base now uh, for about the last year, actually. Um, I've been uh, home brewing beer for this is my fourth year. Um, that's something that just I went completely out of control. So. Uh, <laughs> As, as Tim, I know, can attest to. But yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. That's about, that's about it. <laughs> Great. Perfect. So it was a, a few episodes ago, uh, me and Tim were talking about um, his mentors over the years, and he had mentioned you as one of them. Lucky you, right? Lucky me. Um, <laughs> at him, fool. <laughs> and we always kind of scratch the surface about leadership whenever we're talking, so we decided we were going to have some people on that have been doing it well, I should, I was going to say longer than us, but I've really never been doing it. So a little more, uh, you don't know inside. that. I mean, maybe here right. and there I dabble here and there maybe. <laughs> more than you think. You're the leader of this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's true. Add that, yeah. add that to the resume. Yeah. Podcast so, leader check. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, when was the first time you, uh, kind of found yourself in a leadership position? Oh, geez. Or at least looking back. And realized you were in one the whole time? Uh, that I actually realized, um, 
I guess probably when I was in the sheriff's department. Um, I did, uh, you know, like I said, I was in several, had several roles there. Uh, of course, started out in patrol and, and, uh, but then, you know, I was a canine handler for a number of years, um, ended up head, heading up the canine unit. Um, I was, I made sergeant there. I was a shift commander, assistant shift commander on nights for a long time. And, uh, you know, those, those were, I guess, my first real tests of, of managing people or, mm-hmm. or managing personalities, as I like to call it. So, right. yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you found yourselves, when you're, when you found yourself in that role, what kind of resources, did you have any resources back in the day to, to kind of hone those skills or was it just kind of by the seat of your pants or? Yeah, geez. A lot of it was by the seat of your pants. I mean, there was obviously always, there were always more experienced people and, and those don't have to be necessarily older people. I mean, mm-hmm. there were a lot of people that were in the same, I guess the same median age group as us. Mm-hmm. But, uh it, Different experiences, I guess. Everybody has their own set of skills, you know, from wherever. Sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, there were there were definitely people that you look up to, and and more so people you know to go to for certain things. Mm-hmm. That obviously, you know, everybody nobody knows everything about everything, but a lot of people know a little bit about something. So mm-hmm. everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. Exactly. Was there a, uh, what year did you say you were at the sheriff's department? Uh, 83 through 83 through 95 ish. Yeah. And then, uh, when I left, actually the sheriff at the time had me come back and, and kind of take control of the reserve unit for about four or five years. So I guess yeah. that is a little time there, but. I'm curious about if there was any um, resources on leadership or it's something you just kind of did. Like nowadays, there's a million books and everybody's read them or, you know, and they're great. But I'm kind of wondering back then if it's like, you mean read a book or just tell you what to do? Like, you know what I mean? Was yeah. there any of that? I mean, yeah, there were. Um, Probably by retired army generals and. Mostly. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's where, that's where most of, well, to, and still, there's still were a lot of the leadership, uh, books, videos, things nowadays come from, it's still, there's still a lot of that. And that, and it's for good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, can you attribute, uh, any of your, uh, what you know or what you've learned to a certain person? Like, did you have a, a mentor growing up or in the fire or police side of it? Like, who, like who did you look up to and who did you try to follow basically? Well, I get, you know, you have to start with your parents. So kudos to them. I always tease people nowadays when we run it, we're out with mom and dad and run into people. I say I'm their fault. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it all starts there. I mean, that's where you get your, your basis, but, uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to pick just one. Um, there were, um, 
I don't know, it was like a community of people that kind of lent different things, you know, sure. to, to make up uh, how you think about things and, and how you, how you conduct yourself. But mm-hmm. um, that's not always been stellar, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. It takes a village. Mm-hmm. What about you, John? Before we uh, went to the army all those years ago, was that something you ever, uh, were you unlike me and wanted to get in and be like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy. Uh, I don't, I personally don't think that was your attitude, but you know. Well, so my first exposure to being in a leadership role was growing up. I worked in a, a pizza shop. Uh, I started there when I was like 14, but my parents came to own that place. Eventually I have three brothers. We all used to work there mm-hmm. and my, when my parents bought into it, I moved into like a management role and I was probably 20. I might've been 19, but I was like 19, 20. And I can tell you for sure. I was terrible at it. (laughs) I still, to this day, people don't believe me. I tell people to this day, the most stressful job I ever had was being a quote unquote manager. And I put it in air quotes because it's, I shouldn't even call myself that, but I, I was the guy with the key. Most stressful job I've ever had. And that's including, you know, being a fireman, being in the army and seeing combat managing a place like that is just, it's a completely different ball game, right? Especially you're primarily dealing with people who, you know, minimum wage employees. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm not saying like a, a derogatory term, but a lot of kids that it's their first job. So they don't know how to act. Yeah. A lot of people, who aren't kids, but maybe are just not the best employees per se. Mm -hmm. And you would also get rock stars too. I mean, there's some people that would just be, you can just, just tell it's who they are as a person, but managing that situation was incredibly difficult, stressful. Like, did you know you were bad at it while you were doing it or just retrospectively? Definitely in hindsight, but At the time, yeah, at the time, I don't think I knew that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I knew what I didn't know. And I was just doing the best I could. And it's kind of like, you just tell people what to do. And if they don't do it, you tell them louder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just slinging Zaw. You know, a big part of that, too, was I also don't think I was setting the best example. Like, I don't think I was a total dirtbag. But I think that's something we'll probably get into is like, for me, part of leadership is also just being a role model mm-hmm. and, and showing people like, I don't just expect you to do these things. This is kind of how I do. This is how I do business. And I'm not just telling you do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. What, what actually made it hard about, I mean, you said it was hard or stressful. Yeah. Or- so there's this always, it's a fast paced job. Like probably anybody who's worked in a restaurant or fast food or anything like Mm -hmm. that has probably had a similar experience. Sometimes you have everybody, you know, you have 
15 people working and it's not that busy and that kind of sucks. And then sometimes you have like four people and you're just getting your shit pushed in. Uh, But it's just that the hard part was because I didn't know how to manage. And I guess I could separate management from leadership, but I didn't know how to manage. And I was trying to do it. The answer was always to do more myself. Right. To take more of the work on in your, you figure the aspects of, Management in that role is like maybe you're hiring people, maybe you're firing people and disciplining people. Um, you have to order the supplies and stuff like that. You have to manage day to day operations. Managing the employees is, is kind of the hard part because a lot of the other stuff is a little more. Um, I don't know what the word is. Almost it's a little more predictable, like even mm-hmm. though it's unpredictable when you're dealing with people it's completely different terrain. Cause like people are individuals and you can, right. you can sometimes look at it as a whole of how people are as a whole, but you have to deal with people individually. So that was the hard part was just the having, you know, 20 th- at any given time, you got 20 things going on in your head and trying to figure out how you're going to do it effectively. And usually what would happen is I would just, I would, it would everything. I would always be putting out fires. It was always an emergency, you mm-hmm. know? So yeah, that's basically it. I no. could, I could talk more about that, but yeah. I don't want to get too far into the weeds. I mean, did anybody show you how to fire somebody or discipline anybody? So you nope. were just kind of, did you YouTube it? Lost nope. in the sauce. No, YouTube, <laughs> YouTube, even then YouTube wasn't what it is now. I mean, there yeah, was definitely. no, I had no, it was pre Jocko. but there wasn't if there was information out there i didn't know about it right and i was basing off of like chris said how i grew up and how my parents were and also like now i'm working with my parents too uh, and that was my first job so i did have two managers that i worked under for a period of time so i learned a little bit from them they both had good qualities some more than others, but basically I was just running things like how they were running things and how my parents were running things. And I had no concept of how I had no concept that there was another way. Right. Mm. Yeah. So Chris, back to you, I've uh, just talking to people that um, like when Tim was on Madison that have uh, all worked under you. Um, they usually talk about how consistent you were with anything. So whether, even if they didn't, if they didn't like the policy or they did, you were at least consistent about it. Is that something you, you learned early on or does it, I mean, it makes sense when I just say it out loud like that, but it's not a lot of times. I think that's what people are lacking is consistency, whether it be discipline or. Yeah. Well, I like think, that. I think part of that is, you know, as, when you're no matter what profession you're in that profession and there's certain certain things as an employee you expect and uh as as you move up the ranks or whatever you you try to uh, you, well you try to manage or lead it's not they're not the same things but um as you would want you would have wanted it at, at a lower level. So consistency is a, is a very important thing. Um, 
from a from a leader or a manager, chief, whatever. Um, yeah, you know, you try to be fair and equal. You try to be consistent. Um, fair and equal also aren't the same thing. Um, they live on the same street, but not in the same house, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, no, there's always going to be people who disagree with you, don't like how you're doing things. Um, but I always looked at it as this is, this is what I know. This is, this is how I w- would want to have, would want to have had it be when I was, <clears throat> well, I was in those area or those ranks, but, uh, no, I, I, that's, that's, uh, that's encouraging to hear that because you know, you don't really get that feedback is how people thought you did. <laughs> there were days I didn't think I was doing very well at all. And right. uh, some days I thought things were going well, but uh, yeah, I'm sure that's just part of the human condition as well. Yep. Yeah. And you know, and you look back and hindsight's 2020, 20, but I learned a lot in a short period of time. And were there things I would have done different? Absolutely. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Do you think too, that, like I think you use the word consistency, but mm-hmm. being predictable as being a worker be like having some predictability is good too, because nobody, yeah. nobody likes when you're completely blindsided by something one way or the other. So if you're consistent as a leader and as a manager yeah, and people know what to expect, I think that's good for, you know, the overall environment. True. Yeah. They know they're either going to be busting their ass or they're going to be doing nothing. Nobody likes to, not know what to expect when they, when they get on the job sure. mm-hmm. and they don't know what your mentality is going to be that day or your Jekyll and Hyde, you know, and some, exactly. people, some people are your best friend one day. And then the next day they're trying to hem you up for something, definitely s- something right. stupid. And that's the type of stuff that, you know, can just drive a wedge between management or leaders and the, right. Right. That's true. The body. I don't know what you would call the yeah the le- the lessers. <laughs> it's a it's a crazy you know, it's a crazy thing. And you know, like my most recent experience with that was going from lieutenant to fire chief, and it was like, and I tell people this, you know, when I teach officer classes, but I don't know, care how well you think you know that job until your ass is in that chair, you don't have any idea what this, what that entails, and it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, there's going to be budgeting. There's going to be personnel stuff, but man, there's, there's stuff that comes up that you just, you know, you got to just deal with it. And you're, there's no real way to prepare for some of that stuff. Right. I think that's a really good point though. And it comes up often because you get people like, I don't know how it is where you guys are, but you get people that get newly promoted and, you know, you're kind of they're kind of being watched, right? Cause if you're, and I use the example of we're all familiar with the fire service. I don't like to always go back to that, but it's familiar. You're a blue shirt, right? You get promoted to Lieutenant. Everybody's watching you to see, cause everybody knows blue shirt, Jared center and how he operates. And they're like, Oh, is he going to be hard dicking us now that he's, <laughs> he's got that white shirt. Yeah. But what happens a lot too is people, it seems like, struggle to make sometimes what seems like a simple decision and people like blue shirts will watch that and, and kind of criticize it. And because I've been in that situation before, like I have empathy for it where 
you could say like, I'm the best paramedic when I'm not the one who's like running that call when I'm just on the outside and I'm kind of like taking in the information. I'm not writing the report. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like, have a lot more bandwidth. Yeah. And it's not, it's easy. I think you have to be careful about armchair quarterbacking because that happens a lot too, but mm-hmm. it's the whole detachment, right? Like you're detached from the situation. Maybe you're seeing something that other people don't see, but um, when you're, when your balls are on the bandsaw, it's harder to make a call. Even if it is a simple, seems like a simple decision. It's different when you have the responsibility. Write that down. What exactly? I like that. When your balls are on the bandsaw. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> We're going to make a shirt. <laughs> Well, you got the computer over there, bud. I know. Okay, I'll write it down. <laughs> what was it like to make that transition, though? Like, you were a lieutenant, but you were still probably, you know, one of the guys. Mm-hmm. Like, and then you're the fire chief. And then you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're not. But right. that that day, it's one of those things, like, with consistency, it's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want everybody to think I I'm a different person, but at the same time, you're still responsible for being the chief, you know? So I guess you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, because everyone's like, you've changed. Oh yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's not that the person changes, it's that their, their responsibilities change. And I, and I like, I like that word. I don't like in charge. I like responsible for, Mm -hmm. and you know, the big realization is okay. Yesterday, I was I was only responsible for this, but now today I'm responsible for all this. I'm responsible for, you know, X number of people that this is how they feed their family and mm-hmm. um, responsible to the community, responsible to the elected officials, responsible to, you know, there's just a ton of stuff. It, mm. And uh, it, it is in the face right first day, pretty much. And uh you just got to dig your heels in and, and decide, okay, it's time to go to work. And this is, this is the new program. Um, and the whole transitioning from one of the guys to the boss, um, you, uh, I mean, obviously you, you still, still have the same relate, the same interpersonal relationships with a lot of people, but at the end of the day, it's on you and you, know, you, you struggle at first trying not to let that cloud decisions. Cause the last thing you want to do is play favorites or, sure. you know, and it's, you know, especially on a, a smaller department, that's kind of hard. Yeah. I, I always, and I've never really been in that situation, but I think that's, you know, once I do get promoted, that's going to be one of the toughest things that I navigate because we live with each other. You know, we are family, you know, you go from, these are my buddies. These are my brothers to, Hey, now I'm responsible for you. Now I'm you know? dad. Yeah. Now I'm dad. <laughs> now you're dad. <laughs> you know, um, I, and I don't know, I don't know yet. I mean, people can tell you that you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, but how do you actually navigate that in real life? I think that's going to be a challenge for me. I think you just got to, you know, and the way I looked at it is I, I'm just going to try and do the the best I can know how or figure out to make these things happen. Mm-hmm. Do you get it right every time? No. I mean, 
if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. Right. And, uh, that, that is the difficult part. The buddy to boss thing is tough. Yeah. Um, but as, as time goes on, you learn, you learn the role, I guess, uh, to a point there's, you never, you're never going to know it all. You're never going to be the end all for that position, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult and it's part of managing personalities, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Cause you know, the fire service alone has tons of personalities, you know, and you go from department to department. And since I, since I've left the fire service and I've been going to departments all over the state, you realize it's just the same circus, different clowns. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've realized that uh, by going to that other department that I work for now, there's the same players, the same characters, just the names have changed. Firemen, and, anywhere you go, firemen or firemen. Yeah, exactly. Firefighters, if you will. Yeah. But fi- inclusive. Fire people. <laughs> Our ESG score just tanks. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. I don't know. John's <laughs> going to mullet. That should count for something. <laughs> so, yeah, I have long hair. White Christian national. <laughs> I would imagine, too, there's a there's a difference between being promoted to lieutenant or kind of like first line supervisor in that role you're still working with the guys you're living with them you're ultimately responsible but the departments some of the departments I've worked at but it seems like it's kind of a if you have a good relationship it doesn't really seem like there's that leadership divide where mm-hmm. it's just like you against everybody else. It seems like people work well together, but when you make the G or the jump to like an administrative position, like you go to be the chief and now you're in an office and you mm-hmm. see the guys, but you're not talking to them every day and you're dealing with, you know, city hall budgets, all it's it seems like that's a harder jump to make yeah that sure. fir- that first jump that guy on your crew is naturally probably the guy that he's maybe wired like, to like the big brother yeah so he's not dead but he's the big brother so it's a natural prog- well this makes sense he's a lieutenant or a captain now or whatever right but, right right and even on a smaller department it's probably even harder because there's less there's like not this delineation whereas if you were in Columbus, how often do you think they see their chief or talk to their chief? Like, it's probably a bad day if you're talking to the chief. Right. Right. You work at a, a even, I don't know, a 200 person department. The chief is just the chief. Right. And might as well be the president. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> my point. But you work in a department with, you know, 12, 14, 20 members. There's a, it's a little bit more personal. Yeah. That may not necessarily be a bad thing, but it is a different challenge. Yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of gap mm-hmm. between line people and administration. Um, it, it definitely, I think it. You know, it, I don't say it's more of a challenge because a really big department. I can't imagine the chief's job there. Um, although they do have a lot more ability to delegate to other levels of management. It's still. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's gotta be the ultimate hot seat, but I don't know. Yeah. I think another thing that you said that I like too, is you just said like, you know, if you're not 
if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. I think that's part of it is being able to kind of audit yourself on a regular basis and just be honest about the decisions you make and how you handle situations. And a big one is being able to admit when you were wrong, which that's probably just life in general. People don't like to say they were wrong, but you like, I don't think there's anything wrong with just saying like, Hey, Hey guys, or Hey, this X, Y, Z person, I'm not thrilled about the way I handled that in the future. I'll probably do it differently. I just want you to know that. Yeah. And I think being able to take feedback is probably a huge one. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's how, the only way you're going to grow. How can, honestly, when's it like, what, if you want to give somebody honest feedback, what's going to happen? Like, it's not going to be great. They're, they're going to get pissed. It's always, a, it's always an, a personal attack. Yeah, it's hard not to. Yeah. yeah. Two positives and a negative. Maybe <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good, you got a front load. You got a front load and be like, Oh, you're really doing a good job. You have nice hair. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but if you, if you say, but yeah. everything you yeah. said up to that point goes out the window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that's challenging. I've, I've been in that seat, not taking the criticism, but, trying to explain to someone because I was told uh, the people that I worked with that I don't think it's fair um, to just talk behind your back. Like sure. if there, if there's an issue, I'd like an open line of communication and we'll talk about it, you know, and I thought that was really good and it, it didn't work Yeah, <laughs> at all. I think there's a, pl- um, a place for a good old fashioned ribbing sometimes too, though. Yeah. As long as it's, I don't want to say in good come, fun. Maybe come from the appropriate people, but <laughs> well, yeah. I think depending on the situation, sometimes your peers are the appropriate people, you know, like try and handle stuff at the lowest level. And sometimes breaking somebody's balls, you know, blue shirt to blue shirt is the way that you handle it before it becomes an issue mm-hmm. with administration. Or, yeah. I, I, I think that's where a lot of frustration comes in the fire service, military, whatever. When you have the um, the guys in the middle, like captain level or whatever, that aren't willing to uh, send the feedback up because shit's supposed to go uphill. And then the guys in the bottom are frustrated and then, you know, it's a nightmare. But if the person at the top's not willing to hear it, then why are you going to keep, you know, shouting at a wall? Right. So I think that's... Uh that's a good point. People, I think one of the things that kills morale more than anything is when people, I say, I don't know what the word is, but like kind of there's like the body and then there's like first line management, mid management. Cause like for you, your captain is like my Lieutenant. Right. So, but when you're kind of part of the body and you raise an issue, I don't think it's a matter of the issue per se. It's when there's, some kind of an issue and there's kind of an easily identifiable solution and then nothing ever gets done about it. And that's where, you know, you talk about handling stuff at the lowest level. Like if you want to empower people to handle stuff, if your Lieutenant Jared center or captain Jared center doesn't want to hear about every little thing that happens around here that needs to be fixed, you got to empower people to take care of it on their own. But when they come to you with a problem and they say, here's, a problem, but I'm proposing this solution and you can just say, okay, make it happen. But if it just falls on deaf ears, 
it gets to the point where they're like, well, I'm not even going to bring it up because I know what the outcome is going to be. What's I'm just, that? Sorry. No, that, I'm good. What's that sign that you had on your desk? Something about if you come to me with a problem, have a solution. That was your on your desk, right? On yeah, that basically said. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Anybody, uh, anybody can can come in with a with a problem. Leaders bring solutions, mm-hmm. and you know, I guess that basically just means. Sure, I'll listen. I'll listen to your complaint, your idea, um, your issue, but I expect that. With that problem, complaint, issue, idea, you're also going to bring to me, how are we going to fix it? Here's my idea for fixing it. Um, This is the idea to get where we want to be with this idea. Um, Simply because I think it it makes people think, and that's a little bit part of of some ownership. Um, Trying to think, I, was, I had a thought and it fell out. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> he told us you started at the sheriff's department in '83, so I think <laughs> most people just assumed. Yeah, yeah. I, to make it official right now, I am old. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's uh, and you know, the whole scope, I guess, of this podcast is, is about leadership. And one of the things that I've always thought and uh, tried to tried to kind of go by is not everybody's in a leadership position. And, and this is especially true in, in, in the public sector and public safety as, as a rule is everybody has some leader in them. Okay. It may not ever manifest itself to being promoted to a leadership role, mm-hmm. But as a leader, you have to look at those under you and try to figure out how you best get that little bit of leader to come out in each each one. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you can accomplish that, if you can get everybody using that little bit of leader that they have in them, I think you have a more more cohesive unit and everything seems to go better. Um, I like to think I did that in at least some instances. I, I didn't happen in everyone, um, but that's just people. And that's yeah. part of, part of that deal. Yeah. More like don't think of leadership as a person, a position per se. It's just, you have these qualities. Let's, you know, let's play to your strengths. Exactly. I think a, Part of that too, though, is like, you got to know when it's, you can take it too far. Right. And some people like another thing that I think people don't like is when somebody is way before their time. Well, I guess that's a little bit subjective. No, (laughs) when people come in and you know, from day one, they're after a promotion, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, I don't know, maybe you learn this job first before you. Yeah. Start looking for the next one. And that's like viewing it as you putting, you're putting this position on a pedestal and it's like, it's a leadership position. It's all about the position. It's like, I mean, if you really want the extra 10% in pay, I don't think anybody, I've never heard anybody in a leadership position say it was worth it for the money. 
you know, in the fire service or in the military, especially because the pay gap is probably even smaller, but it's It's not fine. It's a fine line because it's okay to want something. Sure. But if you're going to sit there and just read a book and, and then when you take your nose out of the book, you're a dirt bag, (laughs) right. You know, then, well, yeah. And and those people exist. And when you go to, you know, fire officer school after fire officer school, and you're just doing it for the wrong reason. Yeah. You know, you, you've been on the job for two years and you got fire officer 17. Yeah. And people <laughs> debate about the rank between the man or the rank in the man, like what's more important. And I think the answer is it's both, but, yeah. um, you got, you can't be a hundred percent about the rank. Yeah. You're going to fail. If, what if there was no rank? Right. You know, right. Then, then who's, then what you're, the inmates are just running the prison, but somebody's going to emerge as a natural leader. Definitely. Lord of the flies scenario. Yeah. Usually you're senior people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot to be learned from those people. And I don't think, I don't think that's taken advantage of enough. And I don't think certain senior people in any department realize that that's part of their role. Mm -hmm. What kind of impact that plays or the younger people would be much better than they already are. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's the, the other side of that, too, though, is there are people who are senior, more senior and decide they want to get that promotion and and wear that, um, you know, wear that white shirt. But if you're somebody who and this may not even be reality, but if the perception is you never did anything for this place for 20 years and now you want to get promoted. Like that doesn't sit well with people either. Mm-hmm. Right now, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. It's like, it's never too late to turn this franchise around, but that's the other side of the coin too, that you have. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's going to be hard for some people that they've made a reputation for themselves, but then they honestly want to change. And then you mm-hmm. and people just don't believe them. Yeah. Don't, I always say, <laughs> don't, don't put their fire out. Yeah. You know, let them, if how many times I'm sure we all do the same thing. It's like some days you go, I'm going to do this different and you're all, you know, feeling motivated. And the last thing you want is for somebody to come shit in your Cheerios. And <laughs> well, that's exactly. hard too. I mean, if you work at a place and say you worked under a micromanager your entire career and your morale's just shot, you're yep. like, I can't go anywhere else. And you're just not a dirtbag employee, but maybe you're just, you know, doing your job yeah. and that's it. And then when it's your time to shine, you're like, Oh, I'm going to do this and this because maybe you feel like the handcuffs have been taken off. You know, I kind of get that too. Sure. You know, um, well, you look at some people you can look at and I know pers- people personally who have had rough, rough career patches with just, just rough situations. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, like you said, it takes the wind right out of their sails. And sometimes you wonder, it's like, is this them as a person or were they made this way? You know, and you're like, our job's already hard enough without having to deal with all that stuff too. You throw that in on top of it. I could see why somebody just at some point just checks out and they're like, no, I'm just collecting a paycheck until I can retire. Mm -hmm. Just go hide. I within, I don't know. I mean, I've been at my current, current job for, I'm coming up on five years. Dang. And dang, I remember when you were so young. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I even kind of 
catch myself or recently caught myself just kind of going through the motions. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a ball of fire. I'm not one of those people that's just constantly walking around looking for something to do. But lately I've, I've kind of been, and I've talked to other people too. That was a little reassuring. And and I said, I feel like I shouldn't feel the way that I feel for only being here. I mean, I've been in the profession for six years and somebody else told me the same. He said, you know, I did hit the same thing when I was around like five, six years. And isn't there a name for that? The seven year itch. (laughs) No, not that one. (laughs) Anywhere. I feel like people just add a number of insert number slump. Yeah. Five year slump. Okay, go ahead. No, I mean, I think it, it was reassuring to hear that other people go through that. Also, I heard somewhere, um, that the average, career of an EMS professional is five years, which I know we're, we're we're firefighters, but we're mostly paramedics. So I think we kind of fit, fit into that too. And I was like, yeah, I kind of see it, you know, like the, the, you're the honeymoon phase is over. Like now, now it's kind of just, just a job Mm -hmm. or not just a job, but it's a job. It's a job. And I had to, like I said, be honest with myself and I've been trying to be a little bit more proactive. And again, like I'm not breaking any records, but there are times too, where we have new people come to our department that have been on the job longer than me, you mm-hmm. know, if they came from somewhere else and it's hard for me to be like, uh, come on kid, I'm going to teach you something. <laughs> right. <laughs> but also it's like, look, you're still new to this place. And if you're going to, if you're going to suck here, it's not going to be my fault this time. Mm-hmm. So it's good attitude to have. Yeah. I may have, maybe in the past, I maybe could have helped a little more than I did, but <laughs> um, yeah, I don't even know how I got started down that rabbit hole, but it's just being a uh, mentorship, right? That's part of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh mentorship can either make or break you, especially in those, those first five years. Oh, for sure. Even the first year. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Well, and even at the place I'm at now, it was hard because I was on the other side of that. I came in with experience as the new guy and everybody, and I don't know if they just didn't want to step on my toes. Sure. But I still feel like they should have just went through everything like I was brand new because then I would have grasped uh, maybe the city in their operations better. I mean, that's what we do in... uh, Concealed carry classes. We just pretend nobody can shoot that way. Right. Nobody gets shot. Well, and it's easy. It's easier because it's a basic it's class. Like, <laughs> right. You know? Um, yeah. And it's just like anything else. A lot of people are too, you've been on the job for 15 years. Uh, maybe you don't want to ask questions. Maybe you don't want to make yourself look a little silly. Mm-hmm. Not just you, but. I get that too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like we're hiring you because you have a lot of experience and you're like, what's a fire truck? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've had people come in with that worked some years in some busy departments and some people come in with the attitude of like, what could you possibly teach me? Yeah. And they don't say that, but you kind of get that feeling, but you gotta be a good student too. There are other people that have the same experience. One of them is, is a mutual friend that we have. I won't say his name, but he came in and was just like, I don't know anything. 
teach me what you know. I don't know anything. And I know, I know damn well that he he knows a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, what kind of person are, are you going to be? Do you guys have any metrics that you use to decide whether somebody is a good leader or not? Hmm. Well, I think, I think anytime somebody promotes to or assumes a leadership role, I think we was talked about earlier, but everybody watches everybody that, especially those under them, but those above them too, everybody watches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think for me, the thing that you look at or thing I, things I looked at is how does, how does this, how does this person deal with people? Because that's what it's all about. I mean, if they deal with people well, um, they're probably going to get better results, but, uh, you know, as far as having a, having a metric to go by specifically, I don't, I don't know. Um, but you don't, a lot, you don't have a lot a, of observation. You don't have a checklist in your back pocket. I, I don't surprisingly <laughs> enough. I'm really a spreadsheet guy. So I never, I never made one for that. But yeah. You still like spreadsheets? I love spreadsheets. <laughs> it's, I think it's hard to quantify. And I think that's one reason why it's hard to be a good leader. And some, some people you know, on paper, check all the boxes and they just never live up to it. And there's a lot of box checkers. Well, but then there's a lot of people who don't really look good on paper, but in, in the role they do well. So I think that's one of the things that it's just hard to measure. Right. And with a lot of jobs, like how do they promote? I think that's why it gets talked about so much because you, you can't be like, well, he's a NASCAR driver, right? You know, like <laughs> it's not the same. He's a leader. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, what does you know that what mean? I mean? Right. That's why it's so interesting to get into the, you know, what what to look for, right? You know, and it's all opinion based, I guess. I think I think maybe you measure it by, in part, and maybe in large part, the results, the results that leader gets from their people. Mm. Okay. Um, on a day-to-day basis on big issues, big incidents, but on, a, I think you measure it by the results that that leader helps create because they don't create them. Their people create them. Right. But the leader's got to get them there. Mm-hmm. Is that like looking at somebody's kids, see if they're a good, a decent parent? Now that's not for every, not in not every case, but every case, but you can maybe, get a good idea. Yeah. You know, maybe so. My kids are crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So are yours. (laughs) Yeah. I think the best way to, to quantify it is with yearly reviews where everybody gets a perfect score. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, uh, nobody likes to give somebody a bad evaluation. Mm -hmm. And that just, it doesn't help that person it does grow. Not, does not help that person. Does not help the process. Right. It, it, you know, it's it's difficult to do that, but you're not helping that person one ounce. 
Right. If you just, yeah, you're doing a great job. And then the next day, man, they're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible at this. Right. Well, that kind of thing's not getting any better with retention rates the way they are. Sure. No. And a lot of people aren't going to be like, you kind of suck, but I've seen a lot of, we need you bad. Not bad. I've seen a lot Say of, with your chest. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people make probation because they didn't, their superiors didn't write it down mm-hmm. and give them honest reviews, not even bad reviews, but honest reviews, you know, and not to say that they should or shouldn't have made probation, but you didn't do anything to fix the problem. Oh yeah, you're great. And then the next, like you said, the next minute, the next day, God, they can't do this. They're terrible at that. Yeah. And that's what probation's for. That's right. You know, you got to be honest with people so they can fix themselves too. Well, I yeah. think. What do you do? Yeah. What do you do as a chief when somebody comes to you and says, this guy's a problem. He's his probation's up in a month. We got to do something about it. And you go, I don't have anything on him. What do you want me to do about it? That, and you know? that's about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, granted, you know, in, in most, if not all cases of probationary employees can be let go with or without reason. Now mm-hmm. that's, that's been the way it's always been. I don't know in today's society if that even holds water anymore because everybody's litigious and, right. you know, could probably get past that. But, yeah, if somebody comes in and says, hey, person X is just not cutting it. And you pull their file and look at their quarterly or semi-annual review as during their probation. And everybody that's evaluated them is giving them Oh, they're doing great. They're, you know, do right. Everybody's afraid to say that. And, you know, something's not right or take the time to fix it. You're about hamstrung. Right. You know? I'm, and I'm not in any way saying the answer is to do paperwork on everything, but oh, no. I think it's a stigma of if you don't get a perfect review that reflects negatively on you and that shouldn't be the case. Now, I, I, like I've had this, I've had this, two ways. I've had evaluations where I got, you know, perfect scores on everything. And then you could tell they marked me a three on one thing because they didn't want to give me a perfect eval. And I'm like, the one thing that you took points off is the thing that I think I'm the best at. <laughs> right? um, so, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't honest at all. Classic but, case of pencil whipping. But I've also had leaders say, Hey, nobody gets perfect reviews. You know, like, I don't remember how all review systems are different. Mm -hmm. I think it's like you get like a one to five usually and three is satisfactory. It's like three is good. Like you're not going to get all fives. If you're getting all threes, that means that you're meeting the standard, right? right? Some people view it as like, well, if you don't get all fives, if you get a four, it's like, oh, you're only exceeding our expectations. So you need to be doing better than that. Part of the problem with that and and specifically in the fire service is so many times departments will go with some generic employee evaluation form Mm -hmm. that's not tailored to the job. And, you know, you're, you're trying to grade somebody based on. Yeah. You can't one through five that don't show up to work on time. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you're grading them on flipping burgers when they're, you know, right. Right. I've definitely seen that the generic it's, it's, it's an easy out instead of developing your own form. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't apply, then how do you expect the, 
the results. I of still the, look at forms at work that have your name on it, so I know you can make a form. <laughs> I you made can make couple, the hell out of a form. I made a, I made a couple of forms. Dude. <laughs> All based on spreadsheets. <laughs> the other problem with that approach too is if you have three shifts are all shifts evaluating the same way. Cause if you're right. being honest and you're giving somebody threes and fours, maybe a five, maybe a two and the other shifts are going fives across the board. Everybody, our shift is the best, right? Cause that happens too. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it comes time to promote and they go, um, Mr. Box checker over here has fives across the board and you got a couple of threes, you know, you got a four, we're going to go with this guy, the five fives across the board. And it's like, but it's just, uh, you and know, it just perpetuates the cycle. Yeah. Right. So the guys are like, next time everybody's going to get a five and I'll just tell them what right. they're doing wrong. And actually I know, or not tell them. I joke about the whole Jocko thing, but that was kind of, for me, that was my first exposure to any kind of like leadership material, but he did an episode. I don't remember which one it was. It might've actually been multiple, but he goes through the Marine Corps um, review process. And it spells out every single thing that you're evaluated on. It spells it out in detail. And it also in detail spells out what, if it's one through five, say what's a one, what's a two, what's a three. And you can ask somebody, you say, this says, if you're a five, you met or you exceeded expectations, you know, went above and beyond what's expected of you so on and so forth. So you could say like somebody goes, well, I think I should have got a five. And then you read it and you go, does that describe you? And most people have enough, you know, self-awareness to say, okay, maybe, maybe I don't deserve a five. Mm. Maybe, I like that. Maybe they ought to change the categories instead of numbers. Let's go from dipship to saint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, like Pretty you said, to or, score somebody as a saint. Yeah. Like you said earlier, you're doing them a disservice because anything that I know now was because I screwed it up mm-hmm. before and, or I got, I looked stupid, but if you don't know, you're looking stupid, then you just always got to be stupid. Exactly. You know, that's my primary motivator is like, don't, not to look, stupid. don't look stupid. Yeah. That's it. I don't want to, it'll carry you far. You know, when I'm supposed to know where something's at, somebody goes, it's not in there. Then you're like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. I don't want to look. And I say this all the time. Do people not have that anymore? (laughs) Because people just shrug it off. So if somebody gets a talking to about them, not knowing where something's at or doing something wrong, or they don't know where they're going, the thing that you should do when you get back is go figure it out or ask. I don't see that. I don't see that very often, you know, failures, failures, a great teacher. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. I, yeah, I guess if I always you, took it for act, granted if you act on it. Yeah. I took it for granted that people didn't want to seem like a fool, but. Well, I think there's something called pro social shame. And I think that's what you're talking about, which is like, you don't want to have to deal with the embarrassment of not knowing or doing something and and looking stupid and having to be a little bit ashamed. So it sometimes keeps you in check, right? Yeah. It's like anything else. You remember mainly how you felt at any given moment. Sure. Not, you know, and the shame is a big motivator. (laughs) You see that a lot in training situations where you're doing a group training and maybe it's a certain task and you have people that jump right in. And then you have people, and sometimes they're senior people that hold back just 
kind of refreshing their memory before they jump in because I don't want to look like right. I, I'm not quite sure. Maybe I'm going to miss a step, but I don't want to jump right in there. I'll, yeah, I'll right. watch a couple and refresh my memory. You see that a lot. Yeah, they don't want to go back and shave their mustache off in shame. Right. <laughs> <Horrible>. <laughs> Looking at you, Tim. What? <laughs> I messed it up last year. <laughs> Trimmed it a little too uh, too hard. Are you allowed to have the goatee part? I'll go back to work sometime this week. You know, take it off. Are, I, are you guys allowed to have the goatee part? I don't know. Probably. probably. Yeah. Probably. What do they call that? The ball buffer? <laughs> we need a t- we need a cricket and a t-shirt press i can make so many cool shirts just keep writing down the cool things the, check the box the ball and the bandsaw thing balls bandsaws checking the boxes ball buffers absolutely man i would love to, i would love to add a failed t-shirt business to my list of failed, failed business ventures you want to get in on this one yeah, or let, what? let's do it <laughs> oh i had a question for you the last episode we did with Matt he's been doing jujitsu for a few years and he asked us why are um, people in jujitsu disproportionately public servants and since you is one oh yeah you're like jujitsu um well first I'm a skeptic by nature I don't know if that's necessarily true it might he did say in his and just in his gym he wasn't really saying everywhere, but sure. in his gym, it just so happens that one reason is because there's a big push in law enforcement for people to train jujitsu. Um, and it's kind of more of a, it's, I don't think it's being pushed by departments. It's kind of a culture thing, a culture thing. Yeah. So that's one reason. Another reason is a lot of these places offer, they kind of, that's their target demographic, right? So I would venture to guess that it's probably more police heavy, but also, I don't know, maybe just, I don't know what it is. I guess it's maybe a personality thing. Maybe the the types of people that get into this profession are more likely to try. uh, The gym owners can spot like a crew cut and a mustache from a mile away. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, I don't know. I know. I mean, there are a lot of first responders that train, but I don't know that it's just so disproportionate. Now, another thing, too, is depending on what school you're at, some academies or gyms, whatever you want to call them, offer they have special programs for law enforcement where they can get like discounted or free. It's not free. It's paid for, but not by them. Uh, memberships for a period of time. It's not forever, but so if you're at a school that participates in that, um, I think it's called, what's it called? Adopt a cop is the one that I'm familiar with. If you're, if your school participates in adopt a cop, you're probably going to have a lot more cops there because yeah. Interesting. Hella marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris, Uh-oh. so <laughs> if you could offer somebody that's coming up, wants to be a leader, could you offer them a, a path or a piece of advice uh, to, you know, how do they become a leader? Hmm. Well, obviously, I mean, 
I guess uh, wanting to become a leader, I think the first thing you need to do is take a, a good self inventory. Um, am am I am I ready for this position? Am I ready to move up? Um, do I have the skill sets? Uh, am I someone that others will follow? Because if I don't care what your situation is, if as a leader, if nobody will follow you, guess what? You're not a leader. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is is look at yourself first. How am I doing things? What's my what's my skill set? What's my experience level? Um, and then even before a promotion or something like that to a position, take some initiative, start doing those leadership things. Mm-hmm. Um, take the lead in certain things. Um, again, you know, a lot of the best leadership is by example. Think about as a person, what, what example have I set? What examples am I setting? Can I set a better example and start doing it? Okay. That's the beginning, you know, and then there's obviously, and there's scads and scads of training out there that you can go get mm-hmm. that, that helps refine. Um, come see you. Wait, come see me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. <laughs> we'll take you at BG for sure. That's a good time. If anybody's looking good class, good series of classes. Yeah. It's a series. It's not just, it's not just one. What do you think, John? I can tell you what I think because I've, well, I guess I have been in some leadership roles, but I'm, I've mostly just been kind of a worker bee. But that being said, I really like what Chris said about self inventory. I think that's important. But if you're, we're talking about a role, ask yourself what would the best person for this role look like? And then ask yourself, do I fit that? Right. If not, you know, figure it out. But a lot of it could just be this. These are the qualities of the person who would be best for this role. I'm going to do my best to emulate that. Another thing. And I think Chris touched on this, too. I'm not saying be take charge in every situation, but identify the opportunities where. Nobody, somebody maybe should be in charge and nobody is Mm -hmm. and just take the lead. And it can be the littlest things, but just don't be, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Like I know we touched on that earlier, but, but it's huge. The, uh, you know, the example that I use and I know I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell war stories. When I I was deployed to Afghanistan, I was an E3, which is very much like it starts at E1. So I got two promotions that I didn't have to do anything for except for show up to work Um, when I'm deployed. And not get in trouble. Yeah. Well, even then you get in trouble. It just sets you back six months. You'll still (laughs) you'll still get it. Yeah. But and at this point, I'm in the army less than two years. I'm deployed to Afghanistan and I don't remember the situation. I think it was like my section leader was 
had a, a beef or was quarreling with my team leader. So a team leader is going to be in charge of like five to six guys. Section leader is going to have about 12 guys. And he just goes, uh, Hey rep, you're the new team leader for <laughs> alpha team. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, and that, that's an E5 position. That's an, an NCO, like a sergeant's position. Yeah. And this sergeant who was previously the team leader is in my team. <laughs> so, so I'm the team leader. The, the fired team leader is in my team. And I was actually fortunate that awkward. I was pretty fortunate though, because he was like all about helping me. You know, he, he didn't, he wasn't just like, go ahead and figure it Which out. Which would be easy to do. Like yeah. screw you. Well, it's probably a little bit harder when you're, it is kind of a life or death situation. That's true. But it's like the next thing I know, I'm in charge of a, a fire team and I'm walking point. And it's like nobody prepared me for that. I just had to do it. And then, you know, I was shitting my huggies the first <laughs> couple of times yeah. we rolled out. And it's like, cause you know, being being the point guy is stressful enough. And I was on uh my section was always like the forward element. So like that's stressful enough. And then you throw in all the kind of little um, management type stuff too. But I just kept, uh, you don't realize how much you watch somebody till you absolutely have to emulate. Well, yeah. And it's like, but it's, so it's like all that stuff. And then it's like now, instead of going to the gym to work out after dinner, I'm going to, uh, mission plannings and I'm sitting in meetings and I'm doing, you know, pre patrol checks and inspections and stuff like that. Uh, stuff that I had participated in before, but again, like I'm now I'm kind of like the guy and I'm not used to being the guy. My point there is it was really hard at first. And I was just constantly feeling like I didn't belong there. And after just doing it a handful of times, you kind of get used to it and you, you see like, okay, like, you get a little bit of confidence. You don't want to be too confident, but you go, okay, I can do this. And it's just showing up. Right. Yeah. And it goes back to, uh, that made me think of, uh, well, for those who don't know me and rep were in basic together almost how long ago? 12 years. Uh, 12 yeah. years ago. Damn. Um, 13, Phil Sergeant 13, Martin always said 13. Oh, 13. Yeah. Uh, what did he always say? Uh, you might not, uh, you can do it better. Oh you know my God. better. I remember because I got a, for fire. I got code. a story about this one. Yeah. We're we're doing <laughs> we're doing call for fire training, which is like calling for artillery or mortars. Uh it's a I don't know if I think everybody does that training in basic training. Like I don't think it was scout specific. Really? I thought I it was an OSIT. Okay. Well, maybe it was. But Either regardless, way. it's a a basic training is like bare minimum. Like they're just giving you a quick overview. We're doing this call for fire training. And he just goes, are you as a private ever going to call for fire? Probably not. He said, it's usually going to be your sergeant or your staff sergeant, but you might. So fast forward. And then you do. Yeah. So fast forward about, uh, I don't know. What was it? probably a year and I'm on a hilltop in Afghanistan <laughs> and some shit's going down and I'm like, 
hit those words were ringing in yep. my head. Cause I didn't, we didn't actually have to call for fire, but I had to call the, the mortar pit and have them lay guns on a, you know, a, an area. And I was like, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> so when they say know the job above you and below you, right. it's uh, mm-hmm. extremely important. And I think we were talking too about to get back on track of like qualities of a leader, knowing your job is huge, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I understand that other jobs are different, maybe in the corporate world or what have you, but it is quite the concept. Know your job. Yeah. But so I think that's one of the first steps of leadership is like, be the, you want to be the guy or the person that when people have questions about something, they come to you. Right. That's a good start. You know, that doesn't mean that when you become a leader, you micromanage everybody. And it's usually that senior man that uh, doesn't want promoted that everybody wants promoted because they don't actually, yes, they just know their job well and will offer information to you whenever you ask. Yeah. But you need them too. Mm-hmm. You absolutely need those people who have no desire to be promoted, but know the job well mm-hmm. and that they're a huge benefit, right? You got to put people in places where they're going to, where they're going to succeed. And some people just, that's just where they want to be. Yep. I'm sure. Oh, sorry to cut you off. Okay. A lot of people can relate to somebody having a problem and they're usually going to go to the senior guy and not the officer. Mm-hmm. Just, just the way God intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, you're talking about senior people that know the job. Well, leaders need those senior people that they can 100% count on mm-hmm. because not everybody's at the can count on them hundred percent level. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to try to, you have to try to get them there, but without those, experienced senior people in any application. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably more prevalent in, in public safety or military, but you have to have those people that those leaders can count on because it takes a little weight off the leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when it gets tougher, gets real. Absolutely. Those are the people you're like, yep. They're going to get it done. Yeah. You can't manufacture experience. I like that. Yeah. Write that, write that down. T-shirt. Man, we got so many T-shirts coming out. <laughs> Maybe just one big T-shirt with everything on with it. With everything on it. <laughs> It'll be like when you wore your class shirt on the last day of school and people signed it. Right? <laughs> just put a bunch of random quotes on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've talked about leadership. Um, another thing that I want to talk to Chris about is your beer. We want to talk about beer? Yeah, I mean, just a little bit. I mean, I've tasted your beer. Um, you did you bring get, any? I didn't. I wasn't <sighs> told to bring any. Man, <laughs> it's gonna be a part two. But uh, I've tasted it. It's amazing. Um, I don't know whether you're an artist or a mad scientist because you you talk <laughs> about different water and all this other crazy stuff. Just, I mean, brush brush on a little bit. You know, how'd you get started? Oh, geez. Okay. So, yeah, so, you know, back in the day, I drank all of the generic mass produced beers that everybody drinks, Um, you know, Miller Lite and, and, well, the one that won't be named. Um, (laughs) But at one point, I was about 2010 and had the opportunity to go to Europe for a couple of weeks and like, great. 
I'm going to try all these great beers. Anyway, um, I found out that there were absolutely none that I didn't like. And uh, I came back to the States and the, the old standbys just didn't cut it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started, you know, oh, I'll try and import here or that there. Um, and then discovered craft beer as it started to get bigger and bigger. I'm like, ah, oh, this is, this is way better than, than anything else. And uh, always wanted to, to dabble in trying to brew beer. Cause I knew a lot of people home brewed. Mm-hmm. And so my wife decided uh, she was going to get me started. So, uh, so it is her fault. It is her fault. Okay. So she, she got <laughs> my startup set. Uh, she talked to, to Duncan at the Phoenix and what do I get him? How do I get him started? And surprised me with this starter kit for making beer. And uh, she calls it, she calls it Helga. <laughs> <laughs> so she bought me my mistress mistress. Cause I'm out in the garage playing with my stuff. But, <laughs> me which too. Allows her to go in and watch Hallmark, which is her thing. But um, yeah, so that, that began my, my journey and actually homebrewing myself. Um, I sense, I, and I, I just kind of went crazy with it. So now I've got tons of equipment and, uh, you know, everybody starts out, usually most everybody starts out homebrew. They use these extract kits. So you're not having to mill your own grain. And mm-hmm. so I did, I did some of those and I thought, now nah, I want to, I want to kick it up a notch again. So mm-hmm. went to all grain, um, and the whole thing with brewing beer is you just have to learn a process. Uh-huh. Um, as soon as you're comfortable with the process and, and part of the process is a lot of cleaning and sanitizing uh, your equipment. Um, not, not that equipment, but your beer equipment. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but then, then once, once you're, you're going full bore and have a, a good grasp of how the process works, it's pretty much limited by your imagination and, and science. Um, but yeah, you talked about, you know, water is a, is a huge part. I mean, 80 to 90% of beer is water. So the, the water profile has got to be right for the style. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's really been a, a great hobby and I've been pretty lucky because usually people don't have to spit my beer out. So I never have. <laughs> and, and the crazy thing to me is like the other day, I sampled, I don't remember how many you had, like five or six different ones. Mm-hmm. They were all good. And they were all different. Different styles. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, I think there's, you know, beyond experimentals, I think there's actually 37 recognized beer styles. Mm-hmm. So but it's, a lot of beer styles. It was absolutely crazy. And they tasted so good. <laughs> well, what, we'll have to take this on the road for a brew day. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The brew day podcast. I mean, we talked about that before, but yeah, if we can figure it out and yeah. I think that would be very interesting. That way you guys can play. Yeah, definitely. What, uh, how long does it take from like, Hey, I'm going to start brewing today or start the process today. Like how long is the process till I'm drinking it out of a bottle? So, so typically, you know, your brew day, is about for, for one batch of beer and I, and I do five gallon batches. So, um, but your typical brew day is maybe four and a half, five hours, start to finish. Um, once it's in the fermenter, uh, rule of thumb is four weeks of fermentation. Now that can, that can be shortened depending on 
what yeast strains you're using and temperature and all that stuff, but style of beer, but typically plan on four weeks. And then at that point, you either keg or bottle your beer. Um, if you keg it, you're going to carbonate it in a keg. That's faster. Mm-hmm. Um, if you bottle, then you got all the bottles to clean and sanitize, um, which is why what I started with. I've been kegging for a while now and I've got a counter pressure tap filler so I can bottle right off the taps now. So you didn't realize how expensive it was going to get, did you? Actually, <laughs> you know, I, I, look, I, I say this all the time, but if I had all the money I spent on hunting all my life and mm. put it into brewing beer, I'd have a lot more stuff. You'd have a, a it's, big brewery. It's <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but it's, I would have a lot more hunting equipment if all the money I spent on beer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, that, there's that too, but Definitely. Uh, I mean, it's, brewing and hunting are kind of the same. You still drink the beer. Um, but no, I just, it's really, I mean, to get it on a beginning level, um, I mean, you can do it and, make really good beer and it's not that expensive to start i'm kind of intrigued <laughs> he'll be in, he'll be doing it next by next week i had a friend of mine i think he's still home brews but he started home brewing i don't know probably 15 years ago and it was not now it's a lot more common but when he first told me he was brewing his own beer like i thought he was whipping up bush lights in his basement <laughs> i'm like man times must be hard if he's trying to brew his own swill <laughs> swill but then i eventually realized that it was you know it's more of a, a it is a craft Artisan. yeah it's it is a craft yeah, it's, it's not like just trying to mass produce if things turn out right it's partially art and partially bad scientist i guess but it's, it's really a lot of fun. Are you going to sell it? I won't no. tell the IRS. No, see, that's the tricky part. Yeah. Because you can really, I mean, um, in order to sell it, I mean, you've, you've got to be licensed and you've got to have these Get permits and you've got FDA to, and yeah, there's a whole laundry list of everybody has their handouts to, to do that. What but, if you do a raffle? Yeah. I don't know. There's probably the powers that be probably would find something wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun just having, just sharing with family and friends. And yeah. Do you have any uh, goals of ever being a brewmaster? Not saying that you're not, but like to have a brewery? I'd love to. Um, however, I'm, like we already confirmed that I'm old. So <laughs> um, it, it's, it's that. And, and financially, that's a huge step. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, the cool thing about, the professional craft breweries is they don't really, they really don't compete. It's one business I can think of that they really don't compete because the more good breweries you have in an area, the bigger draw that is. So it becomes a destination, mm-hmm. you know, and cause there are tons of people, myself included that, you know, we like to go out and try different places. Try and if you go, go to a place, an area that, where there's half a dozen or better, yeah. mm-hmm. that's your day. Yeah, you know what they say. Once you've been to one brewery, you want to go to all the you breweries. Do, absolutely, because they're all different, <laughs> um, and they all have different uh, aesthetics, and and it's really kind of neat. So, if you haven't done that, I haven't been to all of them. I'm going to try. I've been, <laughs> I, I've been mentoring Timmy, and yeah, man, yeah, yeah. I'm on the path. <laughs> It's it's really easy to get somebody into the conversation. Like, do you like beer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Do you want to make some? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of its own thing, though. It's like, um, 
I mean, it is like a bar, but it's not doing breweries is not the same as like going to bars. No. And, right. and it's, I think it's kind of maybe coming full circle. Cause early on it was, cause like I live closer to Cleveland and great lakes is in Cleveland. It's been there for a while, as long as I can remember. Do you live in Cleveland? No, I'm closer to Cleveland than Might as well be. Um, for, for those of you who don't know, Tim thinks everything north of route 18 is Cleveland. Yeah. North of Ashland. North of yeah, Ashland. North okay. of Ashland. Yeah. <laughs> you live north of Ashland, you're in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, but it got really popular and then all these places are doing really well, started getting bought out by bigger operations. Um, but also now you're starting to see because breweries are a dime a dozen, some of them are closing their doors. So it's either it's going to be the ones that have backing of the big corporations and the ones that are just really good that people like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, that's uh, there's some of that going on. Um, but the uh, the true mom and pop, really good ones, I think they're I don't want to say they're bulletproof, but they're in pretty good shape. I think. Yeah, they're here to stay. Yeah. They're getting a lot more support lately. Tell yeah. you that. I do. Well, and you talked about like even the home brewers, there's a whole network of, oh, sure. of, of you guys oh, yeah. that get together and share. I don't know what it is you share because I'm not part of the network, but I'm sure it's all good <laughs> stuff. Have you entered in con- <laughs> uh, contests and stuff? I entered, I entered one. Um, Did I, I, entered, I entered one in Cleveland at, and it was actually at Fatheads. Um, also not in Ashland. That was well, no, <laughs> Ashland. North Ashland, but uh, freaking Cleveland. And I had only been at it for oh geez, I only at, I was only at it about a year and a half. Um, and you know these competitions are they have judges for all the different styles, and there's hundreds of beers entered. And and uh, score wise, I did really well. It's just the categories, the style categories that I entered were like. I should have picked some with less. Yeah, they were massive. And uh, so I scored really well and got a lot of good feedback, which is why I did it, because the judges will write feedback. And uh, so I wasn't disappointed that I didn't medal, but I learned a lot and it's pretty cool. But yeah, as far as networks, um, we were in the Society of Northeast Ohio Brewers when we lived up north. that's snobs. The snobs. Um, beer snobs. Which, is really, which is a really big homebrew club. Um, excellent people in it. A lot of people from that have uh, thus moved on and gone pro. That Some of them are good friends. Um, but our local homebrew club in Mansfield, uh, it's a, obviously smaller, but I think everybody in it makes great beer. And so we meet like the last Monday of every month. We meet at the Phoenix. Um Everybody that brews in the club brings samples. And so we'll have our meeting and food and all that. And then the rest of the meeting is sampling what everybody brought. So mm-hmm. um, it's a good way to exchange information. If you're in brewing or get thinking about getting into brewing, come to a meeting. Nice. I mean, there's meetings that go the other way. I was going to say that. But we have our own meetings that cause the other meetings. But, yeah. Uh, well, there's the meeting before the meeting and then meeting after the <laughs> sure. meeting. Yeah, I, uh, that's right. I was actually really intrigued about brewing beer five minutes ago. But then when he talked about the competitions and the judging, uh-huh. I just think I just want to be a judge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You have to work your way up to judge. You got to get some. Like, it's actually a, a pretty tough certification process. I looked into dang. it a little bit. I, you know, you have to have the time because you have to take classes and uh, you have to understand. You have to understand the process. You have to understand the styles. You have to understand aromas and tastes and all flavors and and all that really? business. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's uh it's a pretty stringent test to get up through the process to actually be a certified judge. I think I'm back to being a brewer now. Do you get paid? <laughs> do you get any do you get paid in beer, I'm assuming. Uh, pretty much, yeah. 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 I don't I don't know that judges get paid. I don't know. I've never asked, but I don't know when I thought thought about what I was going to be when I grew up. I didn't even think about being a beer judge. A judge, a beer judge and have him on the show. A beer judge? That's easy. I can do that for you. You know some? I'll find you somebody. I know some judges. We'll get a beer judge panel. I know some local judges that would be happy to be on your show. Yeah, we'll have them on here. I'd love to. Ask them about their palate and stuff. Uh What's up with your palate? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They'll tell you about it. There's probably... And and we could uh, have them do that, the blind, like... Uh, taste test thing <laughs> like with all the straws <laughs> like what's that is this Pepsi <laughs> I knew you could say that for some reason <laughs> you get somebody's dip spit <laughs> that'd be it oh sorry that's the wrong cup <laughs> I knew I should have used a different one <laughs> oh. I'm gonna wrap this up before we completely derail into a wall we're not even drinking I, I think it's just getting started <laughs> Uh, everybody, everybody listening's like hmm, homebrew club. <laughs> they, made it, they made it the bars. <laughs> this will pass for honey. Yeah, <laughs> hear honey, me out. Yeah, honey, I'm joining a club. <laughs> I haven't had a club meeting. <laughs> Is there a link we can put below for uh, people that are interested? Um, I'll, yes, I'll get you one. Okay, I'll, I'll put it in one. the show notes so people I'll can check one. that out. Perfect. <laughs> yep. Anything you want to close with, John? I don't think so. I'll, I'll just throw uh, reputable property services in there too, just to <laughs> RPS. Or don't. I don't know if I want to be directly associated <laughs> with. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I'm just. You can if you want. Yeah. Nobody's gonna. When you pull up in that blue truck with that mullet, people are yeah. gonna know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing Christmas lights now, so call me. <laughs> <laughs> Timmy, you got anything? No, no, I don't. Right on. Well, thank you guys for coming and chatting with us. Thank you. Have Chris, time. If you had anything to add? Anything you want to say? I didn't. No, you didn't. Sorry. No, thanks for ha- <laughs> thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I I realize now I shouldn't have lost a lot of sleep over it last night worrying about looking dumb. No, I, it's all good. It is what it is. I don't know. I've looked dumb before. Just four, <laughs> just four guys talking. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really cool. It's like being a fire yeah. chief. If you screw it up, you just do it better next time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly the same. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, we'd like to have you on again whenever you want. So we're going to be brewing beer next time. Yeah. I'm cool with that. That would be a fun one. I'll get a camera guy. That would be a fun one. I'll be the camera guy. You'll be the camera guy. Go. Damn, we're good. All right, guys. I don't know the first thing about being a camera guy, but I'll do it. (laughs) All right. Later, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.